Hey everybody, welcome to That Photography Podcast. I'm Bruce Moore. And I'm Ed Jones. And joining us again is Deb. Deb oh, well, this is this is not the interrogation of Deb part two. This is us talking all sorts of different things. Mainly we, we, we're sitting, sitting in my studio and we're just talking about like the Rio games are on at the moment and travel photography and more um so the security of your gear when you're traveling and that as well like the the um herald sun guy got his gear nabbed and then he nabbed the guy who yeah turned up with his jacket on which is pretty amazing that was pretty gutsy by that uh thief to decide to slip on the jacket and try and wander around the games Mm. and nick more stuff wow but uh, i suppose uh, i'm gonna be out there and say i've never had an incident no. touch wood no. or anything like that so and i do travel a lot in australia and i've traveled in vietnam and hong kong but i've been very lucky um i don't know if it's just pure luck or i've been cautious enough or not and you guys have traveled a bit as yep. well yep. like yeah and you've done thailand I yeah i went to thailand last year with compassion shooting some stuff with some people on a on a trip with them yeah and Deb. Yeah, and no, I've done China and Africa and the wow. UK. So right, you're the expert now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. Cool. Um, but no, like, what what things do all of us do to you know sort of safeguard ourselves a bit, like even locally, but more so when you're in a place where you don't have, you know, a car to put stuff in or a hotel or a house or something or studio. I I, I personally. Um, have like my roller rolling bag and stuff like that, but I try to keep things to a minimum when I can. But I'm pretty laxed, I have to admit. I try and go as low key as I can. So yeah. I have like a photography backpack. So I'll I'll have that for carrying stuff around. But when I'm actually traveling, I prefer like going to and from the place. Like with Thailand, for example, last year. I actually took the most expensive bits out of that and stuck them in my shoulder bag, which I had with me all the time. And it didn't go in the overhead locker. It went under my seat. Yeah, I've heard so, of and I've seen <clears throat> um, people on like international flights where you'd think it'd be near impossible to steal like a, a big amount of equipment out of somebody's bag. It's, but actually it's, get away with it. It's a closed environment. But they still get away with it. Yeah. There's, yeah. it, it happens a huge amount, especially in some regions of the world. It's more predominant than the others when there's a lot of sort of overnight type flights. Yeah. And that's typically when they strike. And I'd sort of, from my previous career, commercial pilot, sort of aware of different places in the world and where these things happen. And so, for example, for me last year going away, I thought, right, I'll have my, I'll put, I actually used my camera backpack more as my overnight bag with my toiletries and bits and pieces like yeah. that in it. And had my camera bodies in my shoulder bag, which is a photography shoulder bag, but it just looks like a messenger bag. It's a yeah. little green messenger bag. And luckily, I, ca- I shoot with a very compact kit anyway. Yeah, the, I suppose having like the Fujis and that, which are a very small camera, helps yeah. a lot. So I had two bodies and three lenses um, and my flash in my shoulder bag, yeah. um, which was with me and around under my arm and securely held and under my seat all the time which made it less i'm pretty much the same as that really um when i went away on my last trip i'd bought i I had a little case that i thought oh yeah you know i can put all my camera gear in 
And then when I actually thought, you know, I'm not going to be taking that much, just one body, a couple of lenses. Um, I didn't want to take the little case because I also had my big backpack. I had to try and juggle, you know, backpack, case, and then my shoulder bag. And then I'm thinking, well, you know, what am I going to do here? So I just actually used my, um, the camera slimline bag that my 5D and my 70 to 200 lens went into. And my other couple of spare lenses I took, I did the same as you, Ed. I sort of wrapped them carefully and whatnot, popped them in my shoulder bag. That stayed with me, didn't go in the overhead locker, stayed with me. Um, You know, that just had all my my hairbrush and everything all in there. So it just, yeah, it just basically all went in there. So really, except for that one camera bag, which I kept close to me at all times, you know, like when I strapped my other bag over me, I sort of linked both of them together so you couldn't just steal one, you know. um, Yeah, rather than be obvious and have an obvious camera bag. Yeah, yeah uh, I, that that inlines another thing. There, it's like the Canon seventy to two hundred is a good example, but um, even some of the um, Sony lenses and that they're big and white. Yeah, they're really obvious. Yeah, uh, yeah. I didn't actually until recently didn't realize why they made them white or why Canon made their original lenses white, and that was because of heat exchange mm-hmm. on the actual elements in the for the big lenses. Yep. But but now it's like a detriment. It's like a badge of honor in oh, some yeah. places, and it's a detriment in other areas. Like yeah. I, I carried the seventy to two hundred through Vietnam, um, everywhere in that, and uh, I only felt unsafe once, but I probably was a lot more than that. Um, I just used a backpack. I got a um, low pro um, video DSLR video backpack, which. Um, Allows you to access from the side, yep. so you can you know pull it off one shoulder and pull it out. So um, that that worked quite well. Um, but I had an incident which I don't know if it, people Tian thinks it was done deliberately, but I don't know if it was or not. I um, was where was I? I was on the Mekong, and I was um, we went on a big boat ride. Yep. Um, and saw all these things. And that was awesome. And then when we came back, the pier is about a, two meters off the actual river. So it's quite high. But you step up off the bow onto the pier. And it's actually a little terrifying if you're not good at this stuff. But I've been on boats for a long time um, as a youngster. And so I'd, everybody else was off. And the tour guide said, you know, the thing to do here is to tip the guy, give him like, 50 cents basically and that's like a lot of money to him I was like alright I went down and gave him some money and, and as I walked the length of the boat back up to get off he started reversing now I had all my camera gear in there and it was obvious because mm. I've been using it all day so I actually did something really I don't know if it was stupid or foolhardy and I actually jumped and I missed the pier Oof. I landed Halfway <clears throat> on my chest, my 16 to 35 hit the concrete. Um, and yeah, I smacked in the chest, and then some of the tourists dragged me back up off the thing. And then um, lots of kerfuffling. And the guy came back and apologized a lot. And they actually asked me if I wanted him fired. And this yeah. was, I, I was, I, 
I could imagine some people doing that. Yeah. No. No, 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 way. no, no. way. Like, I'm not going to deprive somebody of his livelihood. Not that I, to me it didn't feel malicious, but other people thought it was. You know, it could have been just stealing all my gear or yeah. all my money or yeah. whatever like that. That's probably the closest instance that I've had of something like that. By the way, the lens was fine. It's got a bit <laughs> the um the filter iron has got um damage, but but it it still operates fine. Yeah. yeah. I think I've I've had one possible incident and that was actually in hotel. So yep. far north Thailand, right just on the Myanmar Thailand border. Town we were in because we we're visiting some very remote villages, not the sort of place you're really going to go on holiday, and has less than savoury reputation. Um, yep. But a very nice hotel, brilliantly fast internet, as I've said, faster than anything here in Tassie. And got back one day, went back to the hotel, and I had most of my stuff with me, but went back to the hotel and couldn't get into my room, and could hear someone in my room, and I'm knocking on the door, and everything goes really quiet. And then I go to reception and they make a couple of phone calls. They look very, very stressed and on edge when I'm asking them why I can't get into my room. Go up there and there's someone disappearing down the hallway basically afterwards and I can get into my room. And one of the padlocks on my camera bag was nowhere to be found. Couldn't find it. It was, it had disappeared, vanished. Um, luckily there was nothing that they could get to in there. But... One thing I probably should have done, which I hadn't done, was camera, the actual pack bag, which had half my kit in it, yeah. has a cable. And I should have used that cable feature. Yeah, to like the Kingston yeah. lock sort of thing. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I should have secured yeah. it to something in that room because it would have been, if they'd gotten, if they'd really wanted to take my stuff, they just could have walked out with my bag. Yeah. Yeah, um, which is interesting that they went to go into the bag, I make it less obvious, I suppose. Yeah, probably yeah. just take one or two things. Just and hope you don't notice. Yeah. 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 Maybe a lens or something like that, and then it could be like, oh, it's less obvious and it's more deniable than if the whole bag goes missing in the hotel room. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. Like You imagine walking down and going, where's all my luggage? Yeah, it, yeah. You'd, yeah you'd notice. So, I mean, I've never had really any problem as far as far as my camera gear being touched while I've been away, I did have a problem um, at Johannesburg Airport. They got into my backpack and actually took a tablet and some souvenirs and stuff that I'd bought and broke padlocks off. Obviously, luckily, you know, I didn't have camera gear in there, which yeah. I wouldn't put in my yeah, yeah. my main luggage anyway. So, but yeah, no, I haven't really had any problems with my camera stuff because I've always kept it close by. Um, yeah. 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 I, I, did you guys travel with insurance for your gear? Yeah, yes. oh, yeah. Insure yeah. everything. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I think one of the things which, <clears throat> like, I've, I've talked to different people over the years and, you know, it took me a long time to find worldwide insurance. Yeah. That, like, yeah, house and contents ain't going to cover it. <laughs> um, and a lot of the, um, a lot of the insurers here, underwriters won't touch anything without putting huge premiums on it. So mm -hmm. uh, it, it's worthwhile, particularly if you're wanting to go, you know, travel or do anything semi-professional, professional to actually, you know, look for proper insurance and that, yeah. which is going to cover you worldwide. Um, because the only thing you need to worry about now after that is making sure you've got your backups, making yep. sure you've got your images. Yeah. Because if the gear walks, you can replace it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That. And um, my, 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 
that <coughs> while I might have been a bit laxed about how I was presenting myself, I had a laptop. I had minimum of uh, two drives. One was in my carry-on and one was in my actual luggage. Yep. Which means that regardless of what got separated, there was a drive yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I I the same. I the cards as soon as I'd finished the cards would go one place, and also I've got a um, little Western Digital um, wireless okay. drive which has got an SD slot in it. Yep. So as soon as I finish that card, you just pop it in the slot, and the the drive just automatically dumps everything. Yeah, the digital wallet systems which yeah. have gotten a lot better, and uh, I'm looking forward years. to the new one. I'm hanging out for the new one because it's supposed to be even faster. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, um, yeah, I, 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 people, f- <clears throat> I hear it, you hear the horror stories of cameras being lost and stuff. I'm like, who cares about the camera? Yeah, just yes, keep the photos. Yeah. The camera's a tool. And yeah. Yeah, and sp- like you said, split it up a bit. You know, yeah. I don't use really high, big volume cards because, you know, I like to... Just in case the card fails or something? Yeah, or? just in case the card fails or, you know, your camera does get stolen. But if you've shot on smaller cards, you know, put away in a hardy spot. At least if you do lose your camera, you've got something. You've got some sort of men- memory, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I was doing time lapses through Vietnam, so I was using magic yeah. data. <laughs> and that, so I, I had to have, like, drives everywhere. <laughs> it was insane. I did another thing as well. I, I was shooting film and digital, and I... My, luckily, because I'm shooting the Fujis, they look like an old analog camera anyway. Yep. They've got that sort of look with the aperture dial, the dials on top. I say just gaffered the thing up everywhere, just scuffed ugly black gaffer tape on it, which covering up all branding and putting it on any shiny surface, which just the camera then, idea. it hmm. just then starts to look like a beat up old camera. And if you, if you actually sat it down next to my Canon A1 and that one, you wouldn't. If you, well, unless no, you really knew, yeah. if you were just an opportunist going, oh, that looks valuable, you can look at it and think it's a dirty old film camera. Yeah, why, why would you yeah. want to nick that? So that was another thing I did. So I'd oh. recommend not sticking gaffer on the um, 5D bodies. I learned the hard way and I shot years ago that um, the tape, or it might, might have been the tape I was, u- I was using. I had to fit, uh, I was doing a shoot and the actual tether cable kept getting caught. And this is before I had the jerk stopper system. Yep, and so I taped the cable down the edge of my camera, and yeah, it took me months to get all the stickiness mm. off the uh, edge because the plastic, the rubbery grip, yep. kept all the yeah, not recommended. <laughs> but no, I, I like that idea of covering the branding up and stuff. That's you know getting the shiny out as much as you can. Yeah. that's mm. that's clever. It'd be interesting to know if like if anybody's listening to this actually has some stories and tips like that because you know it travel is becoming much more common. Like you know, yeah. fifteen years ago, none of us would travel much, but now you know, we jump on planes all the time. Mm-hmm. So, and but it sounds like you've been what you've been to Africa, South Africa, China, and stuff yeah. like that. Was Scotland. that work or just no, no, holidays? Just, just purely holiday. Um, China and the first time I went to Africa was to do some volunteer work. Yep. Um, but that was also part holiday because I was doing that with friends and stuff. So, yeah. Wow. I would like to go there one day. Amazing. I'd like to go everywhere. One yeah, day. I, yeah looked- I, I enjoyed doing the NGO stuff last year. Yeah. And that's something I want to do more of. I've got some ideas in 
percolating in the back of my head to sort of take it up a notch. Yeah, right. So with the NGO stuff, like, did they contact you, contact them? It was something you... Well, it was it was a sideways thing. It was a bunch of my friends were all going over um, on a trip to visit kids they sponsor. And right. they were talking about... I was having lunch with one of my mates one day and he was talking about it. He goes, oh, it'd be awesome if you could come and just take photos for us. And it's like... And I had no connection to this organisation. Um, just... And then I sort of... Well, I thought about it for a little while and a couple of things cropped up and it was like, I said, yeah, okay, I'll come. And so I had to go as part of their team and we had interpreters and guides and everything like that. And it was good though. They gave me a lot of freedom. I got a lot of the time my own interpreter and my own vehicle to run around in. Wow. Um, That's cool. So, I mean, we're with the whole team, but we'd often get there ahead of them so I could get some photos before everyone arrived and, and so on. And those photos are just there for my personal use and their personal use. Um, some of them have been shared by the organisation through their social media, but it was it was just a really a, a, a labour of love sort of pleasure trip, wasn't yep. it? Yeah, that, that's sort of what, what mine were. <coughs> um, when I first went to China, I actually went for a reason. Um, I come from a Chinese background. My father had passed away and we'd always talked about doing a trip together. So before he passed, I'd sort of said to him, you know, okay, Dad, I'll go, you know, like sometime in my lifetime, I will go to China. I will take some of your ashes, you know, back with me and, you know, we'll do we'll do this trip together. So that was oh. originally the reason I went um, and then decided, well, if I'm going to go on this trip, which I did through Intrepid, it was a three-week tour. Um, I then researched, found the Panda volunteer program, thought I'll do that while I'm there. So... Yeah, so the group, when I did the Panda program, the group of people that I met doing that were from Scotland, England, um, more in London as well, like in London. We stayed really great friends. A couple of them have been down to visit me here. So they were the people that I then went on to Africa with to do the rhino conservation um, and then went back to see them in England this year. So Did you go to Chiang Mai to the elephant rescue. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, look, I'd like to do more <clears throat> of that volunteer stuff, um, whether it be, you know, pleasurable or it'd be great to get paid for it. But you know, I suppose uh, the analysed thing is using, you know, I'm, I'm guessing particularly your volunteer stuff wasn't revolving around photography initially. No, was, no, yeah. not initially. But, but taking your skill set over to to that end at some point in time would probably be something you'd like to do? Yes, definitely. That's that's probably something I'd definitely like to do. Now I sort of know what I'm doing. I'm not just, you know, got my new shiny camera over yeah. there taking photos of pandas. But that would um, be so much fun. <laughs> it was. <laughs> but yeah, so now I'd really actually like to get involved with that a bit more professionally. Um, and yeah. And help, like, yeah. It, it's kind of funny how I, we as as individuals tend to look at, um, you know, you, you, you focus on yourself and your skill sets and what you want to yep. do with life. And that you get to a comfortable point and then you'll start, hopefully, some people, not everybody, will actually start, you know, looking at other ways of being altruistic with the skill set they've got. Yeah, and they're like animals, and you you've got more of a I don't know what yours would be. Compassion is it's all about the kids, so yeah. it's 
well, it's the kids in the community. So, and I want to give a lot more of my time to them, yeah. um, and just do it just just out of love of what they do. Um, and it's not a cheap proposition doing it, but for me, it's it's something that I can give yeah. back and I can yeah. put back in, and yeah. I'm not doing it to sell to sell ideas to get people to then buy copies of the photos I've taken or anything like that. No. I'm not guy. I'm not disguising. But but does at some point in time does some of this become a political bent in in activism as well? Um, not that you've got that at the moment, but you, we, you talked about um, child trafficking um, off air um, and things like that. Would you want to go down the deeper, darker routes to actually help shine light? I don't know how deep or dark I could go. Like <laughs> last year left me a wreck for weeks coming back, yep. and we. We just we just visited the villages and the families. We didn't get too deep into it. There was probably one village that my interpreter and guide who had to go off a couple of, I had to get in she was finishing up and so we're having a new one and she said the day before I went to this community she said, I struggle going to this community because of what it's what happening. goes on yeah. there, what yeah. happens. Yeah. And I asked, she said, Listen, just look for what you don't see when you get there. Yeah. And it took about it took a sort of a walk around and we were seeing lots of lots of boys around this village and it's sort of in central Thailand, lots of sort of all ages and girls up to about twelve. And then beyond that, no girls. Mm. And I talked to the interpreter we had then about it and it was basically that they were preyed upon by traffickers out of Bangkok and Phuket and Pattaya and places like that, that the tourist trade is, they get hired under the guise of being waitresses and go down there and get put into the sex trade and then into trafficking. And then the rest. Yeah, Yeah, I mean... And and the scary thing is they still send letters and they send money back to their families and pretend they're waitresses still. And so the young girls coming up, the 11, 12-year-olds go look what this person's done for their family. They're a waitress. So as soon as one of the recruiters, as soon as someone says, hey, come be a waitress there, they're jumping on it. Yeah. And, so and that to left be me in that mess. position, yeah, that it really would take a lot to emotionally oh, deal with that. As a dad with two daughters and then <clears throat> we, the last couple of days on the trip just before we left Thailand was in Bangkok and walking around and you just, you saw people, you just wanted to punch guys when yeah. you'd see them on the street because you knew what they were Therefore. What they're about, Therefore. what they're there for. Uh, and, and it left me a mess. So I don't know how deep and dark I could go. I know there are other organisations like Destiny Rescue and so on that actually go in and rescue these and they do an amazing job. I don't think I could handle photographing yeah. that. I think I want to focus on what Compassion does and that's what I want to capture the stories of what they are doing in the community. And their whole thing is about raising the standards in the community through yep. supporting the kids and their education and programs like that that mean that these options don't become attractive. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. So it's really hard. And that's what I think that's the story that I want to tell over over the next couple of trips. So yeah. I don't think I could handle the other. No. Yeah, <clears throat> you, yeah, I don't know. I think you have to be I'm not a I'm not a hardened <laughs> photojournalist. I think there's those those guys that can separate themselves emotionally and compartmentalise it that well. Yeah. Um, I, I, I could probably have said that before my little girl was born. But I, now now, yeah. no, uh, I, I, I actually, um, I keep seeing requests for um, this thing called Heartfelt, which is where, uh, yeah, um, yeah. I can yeah. Do that. yeah, people, um, Bravo, they, 
Yeah, the basically what Heartfelt is for people who don't know is um, um, professional photographers do um, volunteer their time to um, um, photograph um, generally stillborn and um, um, premature, you know, ba- babies that have passed away um, for you know records and keepsakes for the family and that, and it's all labour of love and stuff and. No, a couple no. of my friends do that, I and know. I've my and I've, done it and I've asked them how how emotionally do they do that, and they said they actually said the opposite. They actually find it one of the most beautiful things to do. Um, yeah. yeah, they said it's it's you know it's not as hard. I mean, they're emotional about it, but it's a good emotion. It's it's because they know they're giving to those parents. Yeah, and I think it's taking yeah. it from thinking about yourself <laughs> yeah. to thinking about yeah. the others. Yeah, so they said, yes, they do get emotional, they do get upset for the parents' loss and all the rest of it, but there's actually something, I don't know, I don't know what the word is, there's just something good about doing it. Yeah. Um, I definitely yeah. had that in Thailand, but then it was... <clears throat> A week later, when I was going through the images for the first time, yeah, oh, wow. and I sat there and I was just a mess. Like yeah. halfway through, I just had to switch off. And it's, it's been a really. I'm just getting to the point where, like, I've, I've given the different people that are on the trip their photos, but I haven't done anything with them for myself yet, because yeah. I still go through them and I still struggle. And it's a very emotional journey. And I think that's where I'd probably struggle with that. Like, mm. it had hit me later, and yeah, but that that that. That's a sign of a potentially a good photographer as well, because now you and good images, hopefully, because you you've you've got so much emotion trapped into these little yep. frames um, that I know it's going to be hard, but you might take years to do this, but you'll actually narrow that down, hopefully, down to something which is just the that moment, that feeling of everything you yeah. got. I'm hoping to go again next year, and I think I don't think. Any one trip is going to stand alone as a collection in itself. I think it's going to be an accumulated thing. Yeah. Um, and I think next time I go, I'll make a little bit more contact and organise a few yeah. things before I go. And next time you go, though, you're actually going to be more mentally prepared because yeah. you'll know what to expect. Yeah. So you'll you get won't have yourself. the culture shock and everything. Yeah. Yeah, it was the reverse <clears throat> culture shock coming back and seeing, yeah. like, coming back through Bangkok and seeing what was basically what was causing the problems in the north being... Yeah, out yeah, in, yeah. The, in the south. This is this yeah. is where they all end yeah, up. Yeah, this is like, this is what this, this is the source of the problems. This, and yeah, it's, it's yeah. cheap holidays. It's cheap resort holidays are actually being paid for by the families in yeah. the north. Where yeah, we'd see like one of my friends visit his sponsor child who sees his mum and dad maybe once a year. Um, he's ten, and they they work in the south. Yeah. Um, and there are so many stories like this where the, these people are employed. Building resorts and working resorts and happens providing. in China and everywhere yeah. though. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it does. And they make like fifty Australian dollars a month. And the 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 boy lives on his own. His grandmother comes in like once a day to check on him. Wow! And Imagine being self sufficient at that age. Ten, yeah, she you know? she feeds him basically, and he gets himself up in the morning, goes off to school, comes home, goes off to the compassion activities, and then goes. And then grandma comes in, feeds him, and makes sure everything's done. And you know, and you think of our, like I, I think my daughters at being at the age of 10, yeah. at the, you know, they are so sheltered, so cared for, yeah. so protected. Um, yeah, I think that's that's something that's to be said about um, taking 
children and or yourself out to the world and actually seeing yeah. these things. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you know, we're for all, sure. Well, I mean, we're very lucky living we are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and, you know, I know it's completely different, but, you know, me coming from the whole animal side of things, I remember when I first went to China and we went to the panda sanctuary which wasn't Chengdu. I mean, you talk pandas in China, people automatically think Chengdu, big white fluffy pandas on show at the zoo. Yeah. This was a tiny little mountain village at the foot of the mountain, a couple of hours outside Xi'an. It was a rescue panda centre. So these were, you know, pandas that had been rescued from the wild. But not only in um, were there pandas at the wildlife centre, there were, you know, there were monkeys, um, there were moon bears, which... Uh, they're amazing. Yeah, amazing. Um, but going to this sanctuary, and I remember this one English girl, she cried for the first four days because it was such a shock, yeah. um, the conditions of mm. the animals. I mean, the, the keepers, I take their hats off to them. They were doing the best they could with what funds they had, what facilities they had. But it's the whole culture of the Chinese. They don't regard their animals the same way as we regard oh. our animals. Oh. Um, so, yes, this was a wildlife rescue centre, but it was so way, way behind the times. And it actually it took you a couple of days to realise, look, it's not ideal. It's not what we, you know, we would what? call a rescue yeah. centre, but... They're doing the best they can, and all we can do is help them support that. But it was just, yeah, it was crazy. So that's on your agenda to get back there again with your camera? Um, yeah, I'd, look, I'd love to. Um, since then, um, since I did the panda conservation there, unfortunately there was a big virus that actually went through the panda centre oh. only a couple of years ago. Um, similar to a dog flu, that was the type of thing it was, and all but, you know, a couple of the pandas that they managed to get out to other sanctuaries were all, you know, struck down with this virus, so the panda that I'd cared for, like, didn't make it, and, yeah, I don't know that the whole centre's back up and running now as it was, but, um, yeah. But you'd, you'd be definitely keen to get out there. Oh, that yeah. That sort of stuff now with your camera. Yes. Um, with Greater yes, skills, yes. greater knowledge. Oh, for sure. Yep. I mean, I look at my photos from way back then and I'm thinking, oh, why didn't I know what I was doing? <laughs> oh, I think we all do that. <laughs> Much greater ability to tell that story. Yeah, yeah. So, mm. well, that was a fun and down the rabbit hole. <laughs> down the rabbit hole discussion. <laughs> um, yeah, it was great. Um, yeah. Well, I was Bruce Moyle. You can find me at Joffrey Street Productions and Be Moyle on Instagram. I'm Ed Jones. You can find me at edjonesphotography.com. And I'm Deb Salisbury, and you can find me at Deb Salisbury. Oh, Deb Salisbury Photography, that's wrong. Or you can no, find no. me at furbabiesandfriendsphotography.com and Facebook and Twitter Instagram. And everything yeah, everything else. All right. Thanks, everybody. See ya. Bye. See ya.